<laughs> Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Romans 15, uh, verse 1 to 13. So, uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I couldn't take off my mask. <laughs> Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the, the circumcised to show God's faith, truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even who, he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. It's uh, good to see all of you and good to have you who are online with us as well. Um, welcome to Advent. This uh, is a wonderful time of year as we prepare for Christmas. I think sometimes, however, we get so focused on our secular preparations, whether it's buying presents or decorating or whatever it may be, that we lose sight of the fact that Advent is primarily to help prepare us, to prepare ourselves for Jesus. And uh, so I hope that uh, as we spend these next four weeks preparing ourselves. We'll be doing just that, preparing for the Lord. So let's, uh, let's uh, turn to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, Open our minds, open our hearts to receive your word this morning. May we hear you speaking to our hearts, calling us to follow. Help us, Lord. Help us to listen. Help us to become more fully yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the church in Rome had a problem. You see, that church contained a very diverse group of people. There were men and women, rich and poor, slave and free. Some of the people in the church at Rome came from a Jewish background, and the majority of the people in the church at Rome were Gentiles who had come from a pagan background. Different languages, different cultures, and different ways of looking at things. And so you can see how this could lead to differing opinions, disagreements, and even arguments. And that's exactly what happened in the church in Rome. People there started to quarrel about whether certain days should be considered holy or not, or whether it was permissible to drink wine or to eat meat. We must abstain from eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols, some people in the church at Rome said. And yet others argued, it's just meat. In Christ, we're free to eat whatever, whatever we want. Disagreements between believers, not over matters that are essential to the gospel, but over other issues, have often been a source of confrontation, a source of contention in the church. Issues like, is the King James Version of the Bible the only one that should be read in church? Or how about, should women wear head coverings when they come to church? Should men wear ties? Should pastors wear clerical collars? Is it okay for Christians to play cards? Is it okay for them to go to dances or to drink alcohol? What about music in the church? We have, we have drums and electric guitars. I have friends who say that there should be no instruments in a church. In fact, they say the only instrument should be a tuning fork. Even mature Christian leaders have not been exempt from these kinds of disagreements. When the great preacher Charles Spurgeon met the famous evangelist D.L. Moody for the very first time, there was a surprise. You see, Spurgeon came to the door ready to greet Moody, and as he came to the door, he was smoking a cigar. Well, Moody was horrified. How can you, a man of God, smoke a cigar, asked Moody. And Spurgeon looked at Moody, who was considerably overweight, and he replied, Mr. Moody, I'll put down my cigar when you put down your fork. <laughs> like the church in Rome, we here at first are a very diverse group of people from many different cultures, speaking different languages, and seeing things from differing perspectives. 
Obviously, we've pretty much settled those issues that I've already mentioned. But there are always new issues, aren't there? Always new issues, like, for instance, vaccinations, that arise on which brothers and sisters in Christ may disagree. These kinds of disagreements can lead to fierce debates and even disunity in the church if we're not careful. In today's readings, in reading in, from Romans 15, Paul addresses this issue with a pastor's heart. So let's hear what the Lord is saying to us through his word today. Notice how today's reading begins. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Regardless of who is strong and who is weak, the first point to remember here is that we are not here to please ourselves. We are not here to please ourselves. Verse 2 goes on to say, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now this does not mean that I think we need to be really careful here to say that this does not mean that we are meant to be people pleasers. That's not what Paul is saying here at all. This is not a wishy-washy go-along to get-along that Paul is advocating. You see, Paul is asking the people in the church at Rome not to be people pleasers, but rather to be God pleasers. For Christ did not please himself, said Paul. And then he goes on and quotes from Psalm 69, verse 9. Christ accepted the insults and the reproaches of the cross for the good of others in order that he might please God, his heavenly Father. Follow Christ, says Paul. Do as he did. Please God. This is how you achieve harmony, writes Paul. Listen to what he wrote. This is verse 5 of today's reading. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's not asking the Christians in Rome to erase all the differences between them. And he's not asking them to deny the different positions that they hold. Instead, Paul is saying, you can find harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus that we have our unity. Therefore, writes Paul, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
We're not here to please ourselves, but to welcome fellow Christians with whom we disagree as Christ has welcomed us. Consider what that means. Paul is not asking the Christians in Rome and us today to just tolerate one another or to be superficially polite to one another. No, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Think about what that means. Christ doesn't treat us with disdain. He doesn't treat us with a cold shoulder. He's not superficial to us. No, his love for us, his welcome to us is a costly, warm-hearted embrace. The practical advice that Paul is offering here is that when we have brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we disagree, we are called not to turn away from them, not to put them out of our mind, not to ignore them, not to judge them, not to gossip about them, but instead, as one preacher put it, think of those who bother you and then welcome them as Christ has welcomed you. Love them with the costly love of Jesus. Achieving harmony in the body of Christ is not simply a matter of willpower. You know, I'm going to just, okay, I'm going to do this. It's not willpower on the part of each Christian. If mature Christian, Christians like Spurgeon and Moody found it difficult not to please themselves first, what hope is there for the rest of us to achieve this kind of lofty goal? Paul understood that the church in Rome was made up not of seasoned believers, but of new believers. They were just learning how to follow Jesus. And so Paul showed them what they needed to do. In verse 4 of today's reading, Paul told the Christians at the church in Rome, for whatever is written in former days, and he's talking here about the scriptures, and the only scriptures that people in the church at Rome had in those days were the Old Testament scriptures. He's saying, Paul says, these, whatever was written in former days, these were written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so the very simple guidance, the very simple guidance that Paul gives these Christians in the, in the church at Rome is to turn to the scriptures, to turn to God's word. The scriptures were written for our instruction, says Paul. I think it's important that we not misunderstand what that means. The scriptures are not simply rules and regulations for us to learn, but as John Piper put it, instruction is not finally for the head, 
but it's for the heart. God speaks to us through his word. Through the scriptures, we not only learn about God, but through the scriptures, we actually meet God. We hear his voice. And as we hear his voice in his word, we are changed. The Lord spoke to Isaiah and told him, My word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty. Isaiah 55, verse 11. And that's exactly, you see, what Paul is telling the, the Christians in Rome. Paul is saying that as the Christian, as the Roman Christians turn to God's word, they will be changed. The word of God will change these young Christians. And what they will find is they will find themselves by going to God's word, digging into his word, they will find encouragement. They will find endurance. And yes, they will find hope. Do you see? If God is for you, think about this for a moment, friends. If God is for you, if God is with you, there's no greater encouragement. There's no greater encouragement than that. If God is for you, if God is with you, you can endure anything, anything. God is for you. I remember once meeting a, a medical doctor who was going into Afghanistan to distribute Bibles. Talk about a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> and I said to him, I remember saying to him, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid of what will happen if the Taliban catch you? And he said, the worst they can do is kill me, and then I'll just be with Jesus all the more. God's word, God's word to us gives us strength to endure and gives us hope for the future because no matter what, he has us in the palm of his hand and all is well. As that old hymn puts it, he gives us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And this hope for tomorrow is the way to achieve harmony in the church today. Did you catch that? Let me say that again. This hope for tomorrow is the way to achieve harmony in the church today. When God speaks to us through his word, we are given hope, a blessed hope, a blessed hope for that day for that day when there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow, and Jesus will be everything to us. This is the vision that John has recorded in the book of Revelation. When people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation under heaven will come together around the throne of God 
praising the Lord and praising Jesus. Everything else, everything else will seem as nothing, will seem as nothing compared to Jesus. Well, that day, as we all know, is not here in all its fullness. That's for sure. But in Jesus, in Jesus, it has already begun. The hope begins, you see, with a spark, a little spark. And the spark is God's Spirit in us. The Spirit of God in us lights a spark in us. And so says Paul, turn to God's Word, turn to God's Word, and you will find hope. Paul, in today's reading, he takes his own advice, actually. He goes to God's word. In the rest of today's reading, the rest of today's reading from Paul's letter, Paul turns to the scriptures over and over again. And the good teacher that he is, he turns to God's word in order to show the Christians in the church in Rome that what they need to do themselves. In verse 9, Paul goes to 2 Samuel chapter 22. This is the song of David. David, near the end of his life, David knew that he hadn't finished all that well. He had failed God in many ways. And yet, despite his failures, David had this hope, this hope that one day Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles would all alike praise the one true God. He knew God was faithful. He knew God that, would, that God would fulfill his promises. And so, and so in hope, David sang, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing praise to your name. In verse 10 of today's reading, Paul turns to Deuteronomy 32. God had called Moses, and yet you may remember because of Moses' sin, he wasn't able to enter the promised land, only to see it from afar. But despite Moses' failings, Moses too was given hope. Hope for a day when Gentiles would gather with Jews in praising God. And that's why Moses sang, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. In verse 11, Paul points the Christians in Rome to Psalm 117. It was a psalm the Jews sang at every Passover feast. Even when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and even when the Jews were sent into exile and it looked like it was game over for them, they continued to sing this psalm. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. How could they sing this song when things were going so badly for them? How could they do that? Because, you see, they had a sure and certain hope. 
a sure and certain hope. Finally, in verse 12, Paul turns to Isaiah 11. Isaiah had prophesied that from the root of Jesse, that is, from the family tree of Jesse, Jesse, who was the father of David, from the root of Jesse, from this family tree, would come the Messiah. And said Isaiah, in him will the Gentiles hope. Jesus, the descendant of Jesse, was the hope of Gentiles and Jews alike. Every part, every part of the Old Testament scripture, the law, the prophets, and the writings, every point, every part points to the God who gives us hope. From God's word and by his spirit, we are given hope. Hope for that day which has already begun in Jesus but has not yet fully arrived. Hope for that day when all our differences and all our disagreements will be cast aside, when things will be as they are meant to be, and when all of God's children will rejoice and with one voice gather round the throne of God singing praises to Jesus and bringing glory to his holy name. Thirty-two years ago this week, during the first week of Advent, I was privileged to be in the Holy Land on a trip there with 14 other pastors. Since it was Advent, I was excited to, be, to go and visit Bethlehem. After all, I'd heard about this little town for as long as I could remember. I'd seen it portrayed on Christmas cards, and in my mind's eye, I knew exactly what I could expect to see. I mean, I'd seen all those nativity sets, right? When our bus arrived in Bethlehem at Manger Square, I looked out the window, and instead of shepherds tending their sheep, I saw soldiers walking around with AK-47 machine guns slung over their shoulders. Once the bus stopped, our guide warned us that as soon as we stepped off the bus, we would meet vendors aggressively selling their souvenirs, postcards, and Trinkets of every kind. They'll get in your face, he told us, and make sure you don't buy anything. He said, everything here is a ripoff. Worse than that, he said, in the midst of all this crowd, there are all kinds of pickpockets. So he said, you need to make sure as you're walking into the church of the nativity, make sure, he said, you don't speak to anyone, you walk quickly, and you keep your hand on your wallet. What a disappointment. This wasn't the Bethlehem I had dreamed about. This wasn't the Bethlehem I had hoped to see. 
Anyway, we did as we were told, and we quickly made our way into the church, built over the place where the manger had been. But inside, inside things only got worse. We discovered that the church was overseen by two different Christian denominations who did not get along with each other. Imagine that. And for whatever reason, the Greek Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church didn't much like each other. In fact, they were downright hostile with one another. At one point, a, a priest, I'm not sure which denomination, zoomed by us, his black cassock flying as he ran. And when he, when he reached his destination, which was not too far, he went in and he took a door and he slammed it as hard as he possibly could. He was obviously angry about something. You could sense the hostility in the place. At one point, at one point, we just about had given up expecting anything. It was so depressing to experience this kind of anger and this kind of hostility. How could this be? Wasn't this the birthplace of the Prince of Peace? Still, we hadn't fully arrived at the manger yet. To see that, you had to go downstairs into the crypt of the church, into the basement. Maybe that would cheer me up, I thought. Maybe when I got down there, maybe then, maybe then things would be better. So we went down the stone steps into a relatively small room. It was smoky there because of all the incense that had been burning. There was no cradle, no hay, no room for cattle or sheep. Four or five feet off the floor had been cut into a stone wall, this opening about this big, and it was covered by what looked to me like a dirty velvet curtain with a silver star on it. And I kept thinking, is this it? Is this is this all there is? I was dismayed. One of our group, trying to make the best of a bad situation, said, well, this is Bethlehem, so let's sing. Let's sing, O little town of Bethlehem. And the 14 of us, all being pastors, we knew the words pretty well, so we started. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And no, start, no sooner had we started to sing those words than a busload of tourists from Japan came down the steps behind us. And hearing them, I thought, oh no, even the song is going to be ruined. And right then, behind the Japanese folks, a second busload of tourists, this group from Germany came down. It got pretty crowded down there in the crypt. But we kept singing. And suddenly, suddenly I noticed the other groups joined the singing. Together in English, in Japanese, in German, and in one voice we sang, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. 
in that moment as we praise God together in different languages and yet in one voice. My depressed mood left me. Hope, hope arose in me as I recognized that these other singers who couldn't speak my language and I couldn't speak theirs, but we were brothers and sisters in Christ. Our Japanese, German, and English choir was just a, just, a, just a a tiny glimmer, a tiny glimmer of what's to come. In that moment, I caught a glimpse of our blessed hope when every tongue and every tribe and every nation under heaven will be standing and singing and praising God and giving glory to him and to the Lamb. Today's reading tells us that by God's word and by the Holy Spirit's power, hope, hope arises. So no matter how bleak, depressed, or despondent you may feel right now, Turn to God's word and find hope. Call out to the living Lord. He is Emmanuel, the God who is with us in Jesus Christ, who is with us through his Holy Spirit. Sing to him. Sing to him this Advent season. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. By his word and by the Spirit's power, let hope arise. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. That through these you bring us hope. Lord, put your hope into us so that all the differences, all the disagreements will fade into insignificance as we see that which is most important. You. You, Lord Jesus, and may we give you praise and glory now and forevermore. In your holy name we ask it. Amen.